The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going and welcome to episode 77 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on Twitter at OnTheWirePod. Of course, if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. And once again, joined by my co-host, Kevin Hastings, who should be followed on the Twitter at HastingKevin. Three and a half weeks left, Kevin. That's both maybe a relief and also very extra stressful. How? Which end are you falling on right now? The stressful side. It's yeah. even more stressful. It's only two and a half weeks. Mm. And mm. I am in a couple of head-to-head leagues, playoffs going on, as everybody in those types of leagues know. Both of my semifinal matchups are coming right down to the wire. They will be decided tomorrow or today. As people are listening, we're recording on Saturday. They won't be decided until Sunday, but that's why we do this. It's fun. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were just talking off air beforehand. The one head-to-head league that I care about the moment, semifinals. And I, what I really need are some wins. And, of course, my my guy's going today. Quintana's going, and he's pitching lights out, right, in the second game of the doubleheader. But so is Hunter Green on the other end. So it was not beneficial <laughs> at all right i got uh, some silver lining we're gonna talk about it a little bit later you never want to say silver lining because there's an injury but in a head-to-head matchup man you take whatever you can get trevor rogers got pulled early my my opponent had that so i'm like all right good one less win there but he's got bassett going in line for a win as we speak and i'm doing the thing you're not supposed to do and i'm hoping for an lol mets moment <laughs> so yeah. can, they can take that away from him but We'll see. That'll come down to Sunday as well, as as you mentioned, and it'll be it'll be as stressful as any Sunday can be, and that's without even talking about the other sport that happens on Sundays in September. The silver lining for Quintana is he is still in the game mm-hmm. and still pitching. So in a zero zero ball game in in the eighth inning, you, he still might pull this out for you. I need Albert Pujols to hit seven hundred, and then yeah. we'll, and then we'll talk. <laughs> exactly. That would be nice breaking news, double breaking news to put on the, put on. if it happened, honestly, I'll be happy for him. If it happens in extra innings, that's fine for pool holes. I really need him to do it now though. Okay. I need to <laughs> do it while Katana's still on, in line for the win. All right, let's get into it. We got, like you said, two and a half weeks left and head to head matchups, lots of stress there, of course, 
but we also play in a lot of roto leagues including like our listener leagues there's an overall component it's a big deal and you might want to win your league but you might also be wanting to win that overall and so we got a great guest that's going through that right now it will be for the next two and a half weeks and that is going to be michael richards he currently leads the tgfbi overall standings and by a, a decent little margin. So look that up because that'll change. But if I say a number now, it'll change by the time you look it up. So look it up when you hear this. Michael, besides being found at the top of the TGFBI leaderboard, can also be found regularly podcasting on the Call Up podcast on the Triple Play Fantasy Network, as well as regularly writing over in all realms of prospects in Dynasty Baseball over at Fantrax. So you can check him out at both of those locations. You can also find him on the Twitter at MPRichards1981. All links to all that stuff, of course, in the description notes of this episode. We're going to be twisting Michael's arm about what's gone. Tell us what the secret sauce is for the season and how he how he plans on holding on to his overall lead through the last couple of days of the season. For now, Michael... Thank you for joining us, man. How's it going? It's going good. That's quite a mouthful you just put together there. I really appreciate both of you guys having me on the show. I've listened to your pod before, and I have a lot of respect for what you bring to the industry. Looking up players each week to try to improve our rosters is an important part of the game we play. So you guys are doing a good service, and I'm happy to be part of it, a small part of it this week. Honestly, man, it's like the, it's guests like you that come on the show and put in the effort to get some of these players the spotlights that they deserve for our consideration that is at least 50% of the show. So thank you so much, man, for taking the time and joining us for this. We have, I started putting out this outline and as I always say, we keep the same format every week and except for the trade deadline, you know, as I'm putting out the first draft of this, I'm like, there's not a lot of news to go over. And I even put on the notes. I always put on the notes, more news to come as stuff happens. And of course today, like, I was telling you guys right before we started recording, I just added four notes within the last two hours. So hopefully you guys saw those things come through. So we got a lot to talk about thanks to the stuff that's happened today and throughout the course of the games today on Saturday. So let's get right into it, Kevin. I had a lead with this because it was somebody we talked about last week, and I think you threw his name out there. We're not going to see much more of Andrew Velasquez. He was diagnosed with a torn meniscus. He's going to probably miss the rest of the season. Are we moving our middle infield help toward his replacement in Anaheim, or what's going on in Anaheim? No, I don't think so. Michael Stefanik has got the start at second base the last couple of days as Luis Rengifo moved to shortstop. They also called up Levon Soto. He hasn't played the last couple of days since he's been with the team. Neither one of these guys look like they're really interesting. Although Stefanik has shown some power at AAA over the past couple of seasons. But he was up with the Angels for a short stint. He's got about 50 plate appearances on the season. Zero home runs, zero, zero stolen bases, hitting at the bottom of the lineup. So not a lot there. The Interesting thing is Rengifo has hit leadoff the last two days for the Angels. He's widely rostered, 100% in 15-team main events, 95% in 12-team online championships. That will be 100% by the end of Sunday evening, but only 35% rostered on Yahoo and 
he's got value, especially now that he's in the leadoff spot in those shallower leagues. So in the Yahoo leagues, where this is important to me is that Luis Ringifo is now the leadoff hitter for the Angels with Mike Trout behind him, Shohei Otani, and Taylor Ward, after slumping for the middle part of the season, Ugh. is now doing what he was doing at the beginning of the season. Book so right. a lot of runs coming for Luis Ringifo if he continues to lead off. Yeah, we always say there's always value in a leadoff hitter, regardless of how good your team is, as long as you can actually get on base and they're not just throwing you up there for the sake of giving you at bats, though there's value in that as well. But like you said, you're hitting at the top of the lineup. Even if the Angels are not a good team, you're still hitting in front of Trout and Otani and what have you. So there's, as long as people can keep getting on base, there's there's runs to be had there as well. So that's a good call out there. Michael, lead us off here with a recent call up of the Arizona Diamondbacks. They promoted Dre Jameson. He made his MLB debut on Thursday. Looked pretty good doing it as well. Should we be expecting much more of him for the rest of the way? And if so, are you expecting more of the same that we saw on Thursday or some short-term regression? First of all, I do cover prospects a lot. So let's just look at Jameson from a scouting perspective. He's got a double-plus fastball, double-plus slider, above-average changeup, and an average curveball. Command, as usual, with most pitching prospects is the key with him. Now, looking at him this season, I'm surprised by the success from that first start. Looking at his numbers in the minor leagues, he didn't have a great season in AAA this year. And I think this was more of a call-up just because they expected him to be up sooner. He's 25 years old now. And I like him long-term. But looking at him from this week perspective and going forward, he's matched up with the Dodgers this week. I pretty much avoid most pitchers in that situation. And I'm certainly (laughs) going to be avoiding... Dre Jameson in that situation. So that really only leaves is you got a good start or two down in the last week or two. Generally, I'm avoiding him in fantasy leagues this year. He's someone I would probably be targeting late in drafts, hoping he gets a rotation spot next year. But right now, I'm not super interested in him. But that all being said, we're in short sample size season right now. His teammate, Rain Nelson, has been good for two starts also. He also didn't produce in AAA and they both do play in the PCL. So those numbers are a little off, but I still don't see them being players that I can trust with a pennant on the line. If I'm in a tight race. Sure. Do you expect between those two guys, who would you assume would get a rotation spot in Arizona in to opening day of 2023? That's a tough question. I think it's a toss up. I think the organization doesn't necessarily know. I think they want one of them to take it. And I think the other one would be a pretty big weapon out of the bullpen or even a guy that could step in with injuries. Potentially they see both of them in the rotation next season. Yeah. The Arizona obviously doing some good things toward the end of the season. If you haven't noticed, they're actually playing pretty good ball in general, both by the scoreboard and just on the field. So It'd be a nice young rotation headed by Zach Gallen, of course, if these two guys could make their way in and learn as they go throughout the course of 2023. So keeping an eye on them as drafts kick off in a couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, Kevin, we had a return. The Phillies got Zach Eflin back in, in their, into their pitching squad, if you will. Not quite sure if he's in the rotation or not, but he's back. And they're also waiting for the other Zach, Zach Wheeler, to come back. He's aiming for a return as early as Wednesday against the Blue Jays. Well, we've heard that from Wheeler before, and then there was a setback, and he was out for another week and a half. 
on the same IL stint. So how wary should we be when deciding to set our lineups this Monday with Wheeler trying to come back? I don't think we can use him this week. He's missed four weeks and he hasn't had any rehab outings. He just threw two innings simulated on Friday. That's not enough. He's not going five innings on Wednesday. I guess if he's on your roster and you held him and when we talk about our ratio guys like we do every week, if you plan on him getting three or four innings of good ratios and that's what you're after, you can put him in your starting lineup. But I'm not looking at him for a lot of help when it comes to even qualifying for a win and or having an opportunity for too many strikeouts. What's really interesting to me is what do they do? Are they going to stick with a six-man rotation going forward with Eflin back now? Because that makes it really interesting. And then, because I'm looking ahead. Like we've been talking sure. for a month now that we can't look ahead, two weeks ahead, <laughs> because we don't know what's going on. But I am with Wheeler, because if they go to a five-man rotation, which would probably mean kicking Ranger Suarez out, as well as Bailey Falter, then... We're looking at him getting, I believe it's the Cubs and the Pirates the last full week of the season. Let me double check that real quick as, as I said it. Yeah, we're looking at him getting the Cubs and the Pirates the following week when he would maybe go five the first one. And we would definitely hope for the second one, especially when they're ramping him up for hopefully for them, but postseason run. So they're going to try to build him up here. They don't have much time to do it, but I don't see it helping this first start out yeah and if you're in a league like my head-to-head league that does away with the last week and a half of the season and their championship is next week wheeler is not helping unfortunately he's right. not helping that run and it's the cubs and nationals that, <sighs> that next full week not cubs and pirates either way man though that was a pretty was- <laughs> you could give and take on that one but either way hopefully you can get those that that'd be nice Michael, another call-up for you. You talk prospects. You do prospects. I had to throw as many of these call-ups at you as I could on these notes. But uh, the Marlins called up Jordan Groshans earlier this week, who they received from the Blue Jays as part of the Anthony Bass, Zach Pop return at the trade deadline. We saw him hit his first home run the other day. Can, should we expect ample playing time and and production from Groshans in Miami between now and October 5th? Those are two different things. I do think they've called him up to give him playing time. But this is similar to the Dre Jameson and Rain Nelson situation where the production in AAA didn't warrant the call-up. And he's fallen flat from a prospect perspective. He was, at one time, their number one prospect in the organization. And he still has a pretty solid hit tool. He makes good contact, doesn't strike out a lot. But the power and speed have failed to appear. I don't think any speed's coming. He's below average runner altogether. I thought power and a good average would be there eventually, and it still could. But this is not a player I'm excited about long-term. He looks more like a bench bat to me than anything that's going to be a big-time player in fantasy. But like I said with Jameson, he's playing every day. He's playing third base. It's not out of the realm that he gets hot for the next 10 days or whatever. I wouldn't trust him with my season on the line, but if I was desperate and needed some corner infield and someone who's playing every day. That's part of the game at this point, just someone who's playing games and could get you counting stats. Yeah, There's certain situations where obviously playing time and volume is all you really need. You're desperate for it, so that's the play. But if you're at a point where 
yeah, if you're looking for actual production, this is going to be somebody that, yeah, I agree that it's, you're going to need a lot of tiebreakers to make sure that he's at the top of your conditional list this week. This is really timely that we're about to talk about this, Kevin, as I do do seeing that Ozzy Albies left the game early on Saturday, but he did return from the IL. Uh, he's back in Atlanta. We talked about his possible return last week. So now that we've had a couple of days, has anything changed from what we talked about last week as far as what your assumptions Atlanta would be doing? And him leaving the game early today on Saturday is recording this. Does that, what's your take on that? If you had any time whatsoever to even take that in? Yeah, I was scrambling right before we started recording and here at the beginning of the show and looking for why Albies left the game. And I haven't saw anything yet. But it was a bit surprising when we first talked about Vaughn Grissom when he first came up. I was concerned that he would lose playing time when Albies came back. And I got a little bit of pushback about that. And then he's performed so well that I thought they got to get Grissom in this lineup somehow. Probably left field. Over the last couple of days, Ronald Acuna Jr. is back in the outfield. That opens up a DH spot, but that's went to William Contreras. And we can't argue with that. Contreras has been amazing all season as well. But Vaughn Grissom has missed both games that Albies has started and, until he replaced him in today's game. So I'm going to be really interested to, to see what is up with Albies going forward. Definitely monitor that for Sunday and definitely on Monday as we set lineups for next week. But it appears that Vaughn Grissom's playing time is in trouble here. The Braves happy with the platoon of Eddie Rosario and Robbie Grossman in left field. And as long as that continues, Grissom's going to get playing time here and there, but probably not as much as those rostering him would hope. And a big blow to the teams that have been benefiting from his performance since he's called up. It looks like Albies might have hurt his hand or his fingers or something like that as he was making a slide into second. So good that it wasn't his foot. He didn't slide foot first. He slid hand first. He can injure a different appendage, at least not to hurt his foot again. But yeah, like you said, we'll have to see what comes out of that at the end of this game, if there's any update, or at least if he's in the lineup on Sunday. If he's if Albies is back in the lineup on Sunday, I'm not worried. Like As far as Albies' playing time goes, Right, I, I would jump on your shoulders here and agree that I'd be worried if I had Von Grisham, but it makes it a little bit easier when it comes to Michael's not uh, not liking your analysis here. Is it's looking like <laughs> the, the other thing we talked about last week that does appear to be the case is his performance this season has kept Dansby Swanson up in that two spot. The first couple of days, Albies has been back with him towards the bottom of the lineup. Yeah, and that's probably where Swanson belongs based on what he's been doing. We'll monitor what's going on in Atlanta there. And yeah, Michael, we did get a couple other returnees from the IL, a bunch of pitchers, a bunch of starting pitchers. We mentioned Hunter Green earlier in the show already. Shane McClanahan returned to Tampa. Justin Verlander came back for Houston. Do you see any noticeable young arms playing that had been playing fill-in, losing their jobs or at least losing their starting rotation spots due to their return that are really disappointing? Looking at those three different teams, I looked at the different depth charts and the pitching rotations, and the most obvious one is Hunter Brown for the Astros with Verlander coming back. It looks like he's going to move to the long reliever. 
which could still he could still play a good role and even pick up a win or two and get a lot of strikeouts and multi innings in that role. But that looks to be the most obvious to me. In Tampa, it looks to me like Ryan Yarbrough will move to a long reliever or that he'll be the fifth starter. They only have four starters listed, even with McClanahan back. So I think there's not really a big change there. And with the Reds, I'm not seeing Hunter Green and Lodolo are their two young guys. I think they want to get them innings. And then from there, it's three fill-in guys, basically. So I don't see a young guy in their rotation. I do think if Graham Ashcraft were to come back, he would supplant one of the three older players for a start or two. It's interesting. Like These are the type of players that not only in head-to-head playoff matchups that you are trying to hook your wagon to take you to the promised land, but also... If you're look again looking for that volume, you're playing matchups, you're doing whatever in your roto leagues down the stretch. It's a blow. It's a big blow to see a guy like Hunter Brown, who you could have reasonably thought that Houston would have pushed Verlander's return back a little bit. They obviously are going to clinch their division. They don't need to rush him back, but here he is. He's back, and they want to give him two and a half weeks to make sure he's fully right for the playoffs. I get that, but it is disappointing to see these guys were supposed. And this happens every year. To everybody, you can't put too much faith in long-term production on these, young, especially young pitchers toward the end of the year. Make your make your judgment calls with as much information as you can when it comes to making your bids and who you're going to be dropping this week. Somebody who might be coming back soon-ish, Kevin, Tim Anderson. So we talked about Ozzy Albies possibly coming back for Atlanta last week. Now let's look ahead for the White Sox. Tim Anderson returning possibly next week after finishing off his IL stint and rehab assignments. If so, you know, what happens to Wonder Boy Elvis Andrews, who's been top of that lineup for, for some time now? I, I picked him up for two days personally, got a home run out of him, got a stolen base out of him. Pretty happy about that. Plugged him in a bunch of DCs over the last two weeks. What are your expectations for the how the White Sox whether they have Tony Lusa or not, how, what they plan on doing with Andrews once Anderson comes back. This is tough because it was GM Rick Hahn on Tuesday that said Tim Anderson could be back sometime this coming week. Three days later on Friday, Tim Anderson said he doesn't know. I take that as it might be a little longer, I think. It makes me comfortable rolling with Andrews in NFBC formats for the first half of the week, I think. But it's going to be really hard to lock him into a weekly lineup spot because when Anderson comes back, unless Tony Larusa is right in the lineup and sits Vaughn so that Harrison can be right, right now, stop it. <laughs> that right, that, there's probably not a spot for him. He'll get some utility work, but they got Josh Harrison in that role right now, who plays uh, every couple of days. So, I it's really tough. Like I said. In NFBC formats, I think I'd be comfortable with starting Andrews the first half of the week. I think it would be at least the weekend before we see Tim Anderson, but it'll be really hard to lock him into a weekly lineup. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those. It's very similar to these this, these young pitchers that we're talking about. Be thankful for what he gave you, and be but be ready to move on when the time comes because time might be coming rather soon. Michael, with the expected activation of Max Scherzer this weekend in New York and Aaron Savali returning to Cleveland's rotation, who do you expect to lose their rotation spot upon their returns? So looking at the Mets, it's look, it looks to me like the last pitcher that is questionable in the rotation that started was Trevor Williams. 
So that's the e- easy call for me. He moves out of the rotation. Then they have DeGrom, Scherzer, Carrasco, Walker, and Chris Bassett. That seems the logical choice for me for New York. And from Cleveland perspective, it's it, this is an interesting one to me because they have six pitchers here. I think it comes down to Connor Pilkington and Cody Morris for the last spot. Now, Morris hasn't gone more than four innings so far, but he has the higher prospect pedigree. So I'm not sure how they plan to do this, but Pilkington's also the only lefty in the rotation, so they may that may play a role in this. I personally like Morris a lot more, and if they think he can get stretched out to five innings or so, he's got a lot more strikeout upside and, and even ERA and whip as well. So I would guess... I guess I'm just going to go, I'm going to say they're going to drop Pilkington from the rotation because I think they view Morris as a big part of the rotation. I think they like him more than Quantrill in in, in the range of a Tristan McKenzie long-term. Like, I think they, they like him, so I think they want to give him innings down the stretch. Yeah, Cleveland obviously still fighting for their playoff lives as well, trying to hold on or take the the Central, the AL Central there. So their moves play a bigger role, I feel, in 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 our and what we're looking at and in in real life they have different things that they're worried about than a team like Houston who has everything locked up or a team like you know Pittsburgh who has nothing to play for etc cetera, etc cetera. so it'd be interesting to see what Savali yeah, not expected to be activated until early next week when he comes back so they have a couple days we'll have a couple days you have to take make some speculation moves if there's anything worth doing this Sunday but we'll see what happens once he does come back next week some of the newer items here, Kevin, will start here with Tyler O'Neill. He heads to the IL with a hamstring strain. He is hitter, so it's a 10-day IL, but it is a hamstring strain. Are you dropping O'Neill with just two and a half weeks left? And even in the short term, who gains the playing time in St. Louis? Yeah, it would depend on the league. This is one of those situations where, yeah, if I need the spot, I'm dropping him. Also, if I have an extra spot, then he's becomes available i might grab him for the last six games of the season hopefully when they face the pirates for three home and three away against the pirates to end the season really interesting as will come up really shortly again in the show the cardinals face five right-handed excuse me five left-handed starters this week as, as they are set to have a six game week five of them versus Excuse me. I, I am all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Five lefty starters out of six games. I am so sorry. And so I think the outfield is pretty set because of Dylan Carlson being back. They'll have him out there. And of course, Lars Newtbar and Corey Dickerson. But it, this is pretty tough. I, I, I would drop him, I think, if I need the spot. And like I said, I would keep an eye out if he becomes available in leagues where I may have a spot. Yeah, hamstring, I probably don't expect to see him back. Maybe other than getting him back in time for that half week, just so they can get him a couple of games of live action before the postseason. It's tough at this point with a hamstring injury. He said he hopes it's it, it's just grade one and that it's going to be fine and it'll be the minimum, but hamstrings for guys, especially guys that speed is part of their game, it's really tough. Yeah, at least he left on a good note in that department, giving, getting two stolen bases <laughs> the other day, which hurt both hurt and helped me in various places. But I'm on board. I'm on board with dropping O'Neill at this stage of the year. 
for no re- for, for no other reason, if I've got any money left over in Fab, I know that I can go back next Sunday and pick him at least put a bid in to pick him back up. He doesn't waste a roster spot for me while he's on the mm-hmm. IL. He'll still be on the IL next Sunday. And so at least maybe he is down people's list and I could get him even if I have a small reserve left of fab, but I'd be dropping him pretty readily where I had any inclination of picking up multiple players this week in fab. Another IL stint happened today. Michael Eugenio Suarez hit the IL with a fractured finger. So who's taking his at-bats and filling in at third base in Seattle? And honestly, should we care about it? No, my first instincts to say we shouldn't. I thought we were going to talk about Trevor Rogers here, but give me one second. Third base, Abraham Toro. I think he slots in to their lineup, probably the bottom of their lineup. He hasn't been good this year. He's someone I drafted early. I was for his I thought he would play most days being a switch hitter and they could move him around the lineup. So it's possible it's possible he could bring some level to the some it's not a it's not a huge drop off, I guess. It doesn't have the same level of power, but it's not gonna kill the Mariners. But fantasy wise, I don't see it as a, a big difference maker at this stage in the game, unless you're desperate for a dual eligibility guy who's getting apparently getting at bats at the moment. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't pull it up in the last couple of days, but Suarez has, he leads Major League Baseball in home runs over the last five years. Second, of course, Aaron Judge right behind him. It's amazing that his name continues to pop up in, in various ways over the last two or three years for good and bad, but mostly good, especially if you're just looking for that power, that power boost. It hurts to, to, to lose him for the foreseeable future. But uh, you gotta be you gotta be looking to see who's gonna who's gonna be gaining that. I think Dylan Moore started at third base the other day in in his place. But I agree. I Toro in a bunch of places myself as I was drafting early, especially with Seager retiring and opening up third base there. But that was before they acquired Suarez as well. One an, one more IL addition, Kevin in Chicago, Michael Kopech. He hits the IL. On top of that, Johnny Cueto, he had to start pushed back. The last time I checked, it wasn't skipped. He was just being pushed back because he felt under the weather on Saturday. I expect him to start on Sunday, but we'll see when they finally put that out. Is there any move to the White Sox rotation worth monitoring for the last couple of weeks of the season with Kopech at least out for probably the rest of the regular season, if at least not, at least the next two weeks? Yeah, I think Davis Martin is interesting here for the White Sox. He pitched on Saturday a a nice six innings versus the Tigers, and that is important because he probably lines up to get the Tigers again next week. He only gave up three hits and one walk in six innings pitched with five strikeouts and should get the Tigers right back next week. So I I think that is definitely somebody I'm interested in here. And we were joking about Tony La Russa earlier, but without him in the dugout, the White Sox are all of a sudden a good baseball team. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? (laughs) No one here, of course. No one here. Oh, man. That's a whole different podcast. We'll move on. I just remember there was some, I don't think it was real drama. I just remember seeing like a quote from Tony LaRusso saying he's going to try to come back. And then on the other side, it's like everybody else is being like, he's too, he's take rest, Tony. Rest. Take take care of yourself. Your health is more important. I promise you. I will echo those second sentiments. All right, Michael here. We will talk about Trevor Rogers for good or for bad at one after tearing apart fantasy leagues this, e- this season and then finally going on the IL 
and then actually giving everybody a big sigh of relief, the fact that he's on the IL and he can't hurt you anymore based on what he had been doing. He comes back, he starts tearing it up again. He's back to last year's Trevor Rogers. And then once he sucks you right back in, throws you right back out with his start on Saturday. He left at the start of the second inning after, I think it was like 32 pitches. So he started the second inning. So he only got three outs out of the first, let up two earned runs, left the game early. If he's going to miss any starts, which I would assume at this point he will in Miami, he may miss the rest of the regular season just as they're trying to take care of him. Are you, is there anything that you're watching in Miami the rest of the way that any pitcher that's going to get extra innings because of this? I got to say, first of all, this one hit close to home. I was actually one of the people who drafted Trevor Rogers and had to live through that this year. Yes. But I also was one of the people who picked him back up for cheap and started to see the results at the end here. But this was a fitting end to his season, really. It's just been a nightmare season for him. But uh, looking at their depth chart, I think the clear choice to come back to the team would be Braxton Garrett. He's already had success in the major leagues. He was pretty good this year over a strikeout per inning, only 2.3 walks per nine. He's not a big fastball guy, but he's got good command. I think he could replicate what Rogers is bringing to the table to a certain degree, better than what Rogers has done this year. So that's the guy that I would expect to see the increase on their team. And the other four rotation spots for them are pretty stable at this point. I think those guys are locked in now and in the future. Yeah, I, we always talk about Miami's depth. Like Literally, not us, everybody that talks about Miami's depth in the rotation, both in the minors and already at the majors, whether they're injured or they're healthy or they're young and on an innings cap, whatever, there's, the talent is there. And so anybody, honestly, anybody that's going to get thrown in there, get extra innings, is somebody that we want to keep an eye on, even if Miami doesn't have much to play for the rest of the way. They were a fun story midseason, though, as they were, quote unquote, this close. They were neck and neck with the Orioles and being like the National League version of the Orioles fighting for possible playoff berth, but not going to be in the cards. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for our news and notes section of this episode. As always, I'm sure we missed a bunch of stuff worth noting. Keep up with all the news of the day. Make sure you're listening to the First Pitch Podcast with Chad Young, Scott Shu, and Daniel Port. They break down the news, highlights, and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league down the stretch. In just a moment, we're going to talk to Michael about the types of moves he's been making this season. It's helping him put and keep him at the top of the TGFBI overall standings. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. 
All right, we are back. Of course, you're listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings, the 2020 TGFBI champion, side-by-side with the current, the 2022 current TGFBI leader. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. You have a decent lead, Michael, but we still got two and a half weeks to go. No jinxing. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. (laughs) (laughs) But for those, I don't... I'd be very surprised. Please tweet me if you are DM me. You can keep it on the side. If you don't know what TGFBI stands for, it is it's not as Jeff Erickson says a type of frozen yogurt. It is the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. It's a anybody who puts out any kind of content revolving around fantasy baseball is eligible. Put on by Justin Mason of Friends with Fantasy Benefits, co-host of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast as well, friend of the show. It's been going on for, oh, this is year five, I believe. I think this is year five. Had some very notable champions in the past. Michael's looking to join that those ranks. Michael, we want to talk to you, though, about something's been going right. I don't know how you're doing in any of your other leagues. Man, we don't have to talk about those if you don't want to. We will just stay with the positive here. I'm sure you have a negative or two league. We all do. We're going to stick with TGFBI though, because this is a big deal. This is regardless of what you're, what anybody thinks of it outside. I know there's some people have a stigma attached to it that just because there's 600 plus people in it, that there's tends to be some drop off toward the end. Honestly, that's everywhere. There's drop off in the main event. I don't care if you spend fifteen or two thousand dollars on your league. If you're out of it, like by August or even like early September is a strong possibility that there's drop off across the board. So that out of the way, tell me a little bit about your success for this year. And do you put more of, do you put more of the credit towards your success on back in the draft back in March or your in-season moves, namely your fat pickups in lineup of construction? Uh, you said a lot there. I didn't know what TGFBI was last year or I heard of it. It wasn't something I was aware of when I got into this writing and stuff like that. But of course, I wanted to play. It sounded like a lot of fun. All the people I've been listening to for years, people I've been reading. So last year was a learning experience for me. I probably finished about 150th place overall, middle of the pack in my league, really struggled with certain aspects, volume, because I'm a prospect analyst coming into this. So I was really heavy into that sort of stuff and just thinking I could find breakouts. And it just didn't work against people playing with for volume and everything. So I really set aside a lot of my prospect stuff. I, I used to do stuff daily last year in, on social media. And I just, I'm a very competitive person and I also like to challenge myself. So I set everything aside and just listen to all the good players, listen to the players that they're drafting, listen why they're drafting them, just roster construction. I basically relearned how to play fantasy essentially with my experience. And so the draft is where it started for me. I think that's that was a huge start for me. I don't think it's everything. I think you need to be good on both sides of it. But the draft is the foundation. It's possible to dig yourself out of a bad draft and if you stay on top of fab and everything. But that foundation is it's not possible to win an overall competition, in my opinion, unless you hit on some quality picks along the way and more importantly, just know when to adjust on certain things. But also the fab, you can make some season-changing moves as well if you're on top of that. So that was another thing I had to learn. I had to learn the bidding system. I'd never played a fab league last year. 
So I would overbid on average players. I'd underbid on players I should have been going after. And just a lot of things I had to teach myself how to compete on all these different areas against people who have been doing it for, as you said, four or five years plus experience in big leagues. So yeah, this is a really big deal for me. It's one of those things where I planned out for this to happen, but rarely does it actually come to fruition. And I think a big part of it was me just setting aside my ego and not making it about me discovering players or trying to be smarter than the room. It was just a game of math and figuring out who was going to play and adding up to a certain amount of points in each stat and just all the different lessons I learned over time. So that's a long-winded response. But to me, the draft is the foundation and you need to be at least above average to really good during the fab season to win a league like this and overall. And to correct myself, not 600 something, there's 465. Still the most that this league has ever seen. So 465 is different than 600 plus. I, I will concede that. Still one of the largest leagues, especially industry leagues out there. And the competition is, is nothing to sneeze at. Just looking at the current top 10 right now, Michael, of course, you're at the top. Randall Haynes, Casey Varner, Dylan White, Jeffrey Zimmerman, and I apologize. I'm reading full names here. I'm not trying to, <laughs> I'm not good. Obviously, <laughs> Jeff Zimmerman, Richard Briskin, Yancey. I'll just say Yancey. Yancey has deserved the one name, the single name, like the Madonna of the world or the Beyonce's. Vlad Sedler, and that, that rounds out the top eight. That's There's some very notable names out there and very elite company. Todd Zola, obviously, Kevin here, some of the previous champions here, but you said, obviously, the draft set the stage for your success that creates that base, if you will. But not no matter how successful you have been, it, it couldn't have been all roses and candy and unicorns and what have you. Give me give me the worst draft pick. And you, no, you can't give me your, your 30th pick of the draft as being your worst one. Top 10 rounds, it's got to be. Who would you say put you back or at least put you at a point where you really shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be at the top of the list because you drafted this guy. <laughs> That's a pretty obvious answer for me. Round seven, pick 97 overall. I picked Trevor Rogers as my number two starting pitcher. And that cost me a lot this year because there were a lot of good pitchers being pitched, picked around there. I could have had Verlander. I could have had Manoa. I could have had McClanahan. I could have made my season with that pick right there. So that mm-hmm. was huge. Verlander is the guy that I was stressing about that I should have picked because I was big about the uh, veterans just mixing it up with good solid veterans in there. So I picked Verlander in that spot, a lot of different in other leagues I played and it's really helped a lot. So Trevor Rogers also, I'd say in round nine, Fran Mill Reyes, that was a mistake. I, I really liked what he did last year, but he was a DH only. I still needed speed on this team at that time. I didn't really need to go after a guy who was best case scenario, three and a half, four category hitter. And it's been the kind of worst case scenario for him this year. I, I held him as well, which I think was a mistake. So I'd say those two are the two worst picks I made. In all honesty, though, the other eight of my 10 first 10 picks, I'm pretty happy with. Now, Rogers, though, like you could have mitigated that if you, if put it this way, did you start Rogers for every start up until he hit the IL or were you finally at to a point like it was start after start of just mediocrity at best? Were you benching him or did you eat all of that? 
I didn't eat all of it, but I ate too much of it (laughs) (laughs) because I was chasing strikeouts and wins for a majority of the season. And it was just like, I just felt like it had to click eventually because he was so good last year. He's not this, he's not this bad. If I can just get him to be like a four ERA guy, get a handful of wins or whatever, I can live with that. It, It went from, I had expectations of him being my SP2, maybe performing like an ace to hoping that he would be a guy I could start and not be terrified. <laughs> exactly. All right. Obviously you did some things right though. You can't name them all, but give me, give me your, the best pick you that came out of that draft. It was tough for me to narrow it down to one. I did narrow it down to three and I kept it to the later round guys instead of saying my top first or second round picks. But I'd say the most in, impactful relative to their draft position were Andres Jimenez. Nice. I picked him in round 19, pick 277. I picked him as basically a multi-position middle infield guy who mm-hmm. might work his way into the starting role for me. And he's been a huge part of my team. Round 22, pick 324 was Tony Gonsolin. I wasn't expecting him to be as good as he's been. Obviously, I lost him recently, but he was the ERA and wins leader when he went down. And he was a massive part of my team. A little bit lesser. He maybe not doesn't deserve to be on this list, but Alec Baum, I picked round 21, pick 307. He hasn't really done a lot as far as counting stats and has no speed, but he's been close to 300 hitter and moved up into three hole for the Phillies. So he's been good for the where I picked him. And probably my best pick, if it's not Jimenez or Gonsolin, would be Christian Walker. I picked round 28, pick 414. And that was just simply... Uh, play a guy who I thought would hit in the middle of the lineup in Arizona. I needed some more power on the team. I thought he'd play most days. And I'd also liked him in the past a little bit. So I thought there was potential for a bounce back. And just looking at his projections going into the season, I felt they were a little underwhelming. I thought he would be give more power than that. And even with his projections as they were, it was a value pick on my chart. The Jimenez pick. Great, just because I remember, Kevin, you and I talking about how middle infield was looking like total garbage, especially at that point in the draft. So obviously that turned out for a major positive. And I'm looking at this Gonsolin pick. Obviously, that balanced out the Trevor Rogers pick. Like that's where (laughs) statistically that's where Rogers should have gone. And then you would have more than likely if you were you had picked up a guy who put up what Trevor Rogers had been putting up where you picked Gonsolin. So if Gonzalez was putting up Trevor Rogers numbers, you would have felt a lot better dropping him. I would have dropped him. I would have dropped him very early. Exactly. So it's interesting. It's just, those are the nuances of dropping, picking up guys, when to do it based on the draft capital that you put into picking them. It's like you picked up Rogers in the seventh round. You got to hold on to him. I paid top dollar, but Gonzalez, you pay not. So they, they were a nice balancing act that you were able to uh, come away with. That's probably without Gonsolin bouncing out Rogers. We're probably having a completely different conversation about this right now. All right. So like you said, the base is in the draft, but fab plays a role, obviously. What was your overall strategy throughout the season that's gotten you to this point? Because like you said, it's not just draft. It's the moves that you make throughout. What was your overall strategy coming in and then did adjust throughout the course of the season? So my experience last year gave me an idea of what to expect as far as ranges of bids and things like that. Early in the season, I wanted to target rare skill sets. Players, like when drafts are unfolding, we realize at a certain point that, oh, saves are gone or what we think are saves are gone. 
there's not obvious speed out there. The clear pitching's gone. So it's like when that, when those things emerge on the free agents, I wanted to be early on those things, especially b- breakouts or players that I thought could last longer than just a stream for me. Be- because I did like my draft, In I, I look back, I have 17 of the 30 players that I drafted still remaining on my team. So there was never any huge... I was just bringing in a wave of players to stream. It was always like one or two people I was adding. But I just wanted to go after those types of rare stats, look for openings when that would emerge. I added, I didn't need saves throughout the year. I had, I drafted Emmanuel Classe and I had Taylor Rogers when he was hot with Milwaukee or before, or with the Padres. I had him when he was with the Padres. So that was really good. They were like two of the best closers. But once he lost the job, I ended up adding Felix Batista. So I've just always been good this year with two closers and it's kept me up near over 400 points on the overall with that. And mainly the main thing I wanted was to feel comfortable with the bid ranges. Even if I missed on a player, I felt like I was, it was tuning me into how much they should go for those types of players, the, even the following week and in the future. I was selectively aggressive with a couple triple digit bids this year. I put it in my mind that I wanted to get George Kirby before the season even started just because I'm from the Seattle area, I'd been following him with the prospect thing. I really love his command and control, and I just thought he could be a good player right off the bat. I bid $299 on him. The runner-up bid was 252 I believe. Oh, that so, feels better. That When you yep. see that, you feel better. It's the one you put the 299 bid in, and the next one is like 82 when you're like, yep. oh. <laughs> and I had another big one like that also. At a certain point, I identified that I needed stolen bases badly. Asturi Ruiz was coming up to the majors. He had about 60 stolen bases. I thought that he was going to get plugged into the Milwaukee or Padres at the time, and then eventually Milwaukee and just start stealing bases. Similar to how Bubba Thompson's been, basically. I just thought he'd be a guy, even if he wasn't hitting, you'd get a bunch of stolen bases from him. So I bid probably $172 on him. And the runner-up was like 130 or something. I had to end up dropping him after a few weeks. I've had a couple of roto gut moments. I got bid 37 on Josh Naylor. Runner-up was 35. I've kept him all year. I bid 25, 27 on Vaughn Grisham. Runner-up was 25. That was a big addition for me at the time. Added Spencer Strider when he was a multi-inning reliever. And even though I was questioning it, I the strikeouts and the ERA and whip help, I kept him on my team during that. And once he went into the rotation, he's turned into my ace, co-ace with Dylan Cease. And added Lodolo when he came back from injury for cheap and just trying to stay a week ahead of the competition because I know that's how the top players in like high stakes leagues operate. And I've been listening to them for the last four months, talk about it. And basically I'm just trying to duplicate what I'm hearing them say. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I feel you on that one. And you have to have some of those roto gut moments. You have to like throughout the season, you don't get, you don't get those players without it for sure. So Last question I'll ask you about this. You got two and a half weeks left. How first of all, how much fab do you are you playing with going into the last three periods? And then what's your strategy to hold on to? And I, at this point, I don't think you're giving away the farm <laughs> about what you're gonna be doing. But yeah, what's the play? My fab right now, I it will make more sense, but I did spend the majority of it recently trying to fill in what I perceive to be my big need, which is pitching. And I'm down to $10, which I'm comfortable with. I've never been in this position, obviously, but I'm only going to be able to spend a couple bucks this week. Plan to have about eight bucks for the final two weeks and just try to get ahead 
of the curve on that. Whoever people are going to want that final three games, try to get them the week before, stuff like that. But I, as for the season goes, like I was fortunate to get eight out of 10 categories in a good place relatively early, especially against my league. But even in the overall, it looked like it was going to be strong in those categories. So I've been able, I've been on relative cruise control for about a month and a half in those. And I still need to watch them and produce at a reasonable level, but like I'm safe from a free fall. So I identified wins and steals as the two spots I could add points. And like I said, I fab guys like Von Grisham. I got Bubba Thompson a few weeks ago, which has been a big addition for me. Lodolo, I mentioned, I picked up Carlos Carrasco after his rough start of two innings. I picked him up knowing he was going up against the Marlins. They had the good matchups coming ahead. And I believe in Carrasco and I'm chasing wins. The Mets are a good team. Also, Trevor Rogers, I picked up that backfired. But that was all with steals and wins in mind. I lost a bid for Jake McCarthy on a tie to a guy who was just throwing out 10 bids of the same number. And it just happened to be the number I put out there. That's been haunting me for a while. But I've just been hammering those categories, particularly wins. That may involve maximizing stats down the stretch or starts. And I've already been selectively benching one of my closers. Wins to me seems crucial. I've got this this steals up to a place where it's pretty comfortable and I can't really go up a lot more. So this week I had really good matchups. I had nine starts. I only have one win this week. There's been a lot of brutal things happening for me. I may have been able to seal the deal on this thing if I would have that would have gone the other way, but that's really what I'm doing now. I'm just plugging in as many starts as I can that have the potential to get wins for me. And I think if I get my fair share down the stretch, my point total will be too high for anyone else to catch me, even if they get hot. Yeah, you're about almost 200 points above second place team, but we see swings on a daily basis ranging from 10 to 50 points on a regular, on the daily. That two and a half weeks, a lot can happen. So obviously we're going to continue to be diligent. Kevin, we do this every time that we have a, a somebody doing really well in the overall or a previous overall champion on the show. But like, how does everything that Michael's been talking about compare to how you took the 2020? Obviously, we all know what happened in 2020. You're playing with a different size deck, if you will. But what was the what were the main differences or similarities that you heard him talk about that went through your mind when you took home the crown? No, I've just been sitting here nodding the entire time Michael's been talking. It sounds like he's doing this perfectly as far as I am concerned. Yeah, once once you're comfortable with your league, you start focusing on some of the overall categories. And once you're comfortable in some of those categories, you narrow it down to the ones you're focusing on. Sounds really simple. Um, and, and, and it can be, but... There's a lot to look at. You're looking at category lists that are 465 players long, as you mentioned earlier. So there's <laughs> a little more to it. But uh, uh, like I said, I just sit here nodding the entire time he was talking. All right. It's always fun for me to have somebody doing so well in, in, in a, a former champion on next to me as I sit in, was it 361st right now? So that's just TGFBI though. So <laughs> most of my focus, yes, has been focused on a, a select few other leagues at this point of the season, which is not uncommon. Like I said, we're not going to get into those negatives, Michael. We're going to leave that here on a high note. I wish you the best of luck the rest of the way. That's not to say that the other names that I listed off earlier don't have a good shot at this. 
but you, oh, you're getting a message from Yancey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised somehow he hasn't texted me already. <laughs> really quick, the, like you you listed off those guys. Dylan White has been in the top 12, I think, the last two years. Yep. Vlad Sedler and Jeff Zimmerman write the fab articles that we all use to decide on our players. This is the cream of the crop. Like It's been stressful for me. I'm making it sound like I got it all figured out, but it's because I'm focusing a lot on it because I don't know when I'm going to be in this position again. I wasn't supposed oh, to be here. Take, oh, take full. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm just going all out. If it never happens again, I always have this summary. So that's the kind of mindset I'm trying to stay positive too. Oh yeah. All the positive vibes your way, Michael. Let's talk about some of those fab options that we're going to go over here today with your help. Three more fab periods left. You might have $10. You might still have triple digits. Whatever it is, you still need to go after some of these players. We'll go in the same order as we always do. Start with our power category. I've made I made Michael talk enough, so I'm going to go to Kevin first here. Kevin, who are we looking at to hit a couple bombs this week? Yeah, I'm sure most people knew where I was going when I mentioned that I'd talk about the five of six starters that St. Louis will face this week are left-handed, and it's Albert Pujols. He's 87% rostered in the 15-team main events, but only 35% online championships and 37% on Yahoo versus lefties this season, the entire season, even before he stepped it up the second half. 359 batting average with 12 home runs, 28 RBI, 20 runs scored, and only 117 plate appearances. I was really looking forward to him facing Mike Miner on Saturday. Evidently, Mike Miner was not two plate appearances, two walks. I really thought we were going to see something on Saturday, but a nice week ahead for Albert Pujols is as we are recording, still needs two more home runs to reach 700. If he doesn't, man, it, like... St. Louis has, has to trot him out against righties too, right? Just They have been already, yeah. Yeah, so he's yeah. going to get the plate appearances. So the volume is going to be there until he hits 700. Yep. If he gets that nice round number, all bets are off. It goes back to the strict platoon. He might role. walk off the field, yeah. tip his cap, and <laughs> straight to the clubhouse. Yeah. I- <laughs> Although I don't. The, the way he's been hitting against lefties, he could be a big part of their postseason run as well. Yeah, I heard on DVR talking about that option, rates and barrels the other day, where literally he just touches home plate and just keeps going <laughs> off into the sunset. I'm on board. I'm on the train that wants to see that happen. Anyway, was it like John Crook that walked off first base after a single in the middle of the game? <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> nope, I'm good. I'm out of here. See ya. All right. <laughs> Had enough. All right. Pools, a good play overall, like you said, with the with who he's got facing, who St. Louis is facing the next week or, and then beyond, to be honest. I thought it was interesting. I saw him get picked up in my daily league in the head to head in the playoffs. I'm like, I can't believe he used one of his ads on. And then I saw your notes on this. I'm like, all right, he's looking like he's going to the finals next week. That's a dang good play when you look at when you look at those matchups. Michael, besides Pujols. Who might you be looking at if you need that power, if you need those home runs, you need those RBIs going into the final week and a half or two, two and a half weeks. For this exercise, I was looking, trying to look for players that weren't rostered in a lot of leagues that were, could be widely available. The guy I went with here, also that we're, like I said earlier, we're down to the stretch here. So players who are hot or have good matchups, you can justify playing them over more established players. Even I'm pretty terrible with names. Aristides, Aristides Aquino. Aquino. I think it's just Aquino. Aquino. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Aquino for the Reds. And now I'll say he's 
We saw him about three years ago. He hit nine home runs in his first 14 games. So he's already shown what level of power he could bring to the table. He has a high strikeout rate, but he's been hot. I looked at the WRC plus leaderboard for September and he's number 12 right now, rounded by a bunch of all-stars and guys that you would expect. So he seems to be playing every day. He's got his strikeout rate down to 24% during that time period with five home runs. He's batting in the five hole every day for the Reds. So if you can afford to potentially take a hit and average at this stage in the game, I think you can pick up a few home runs from him down the stretch. And the Reds have six home games as well. So that's a good park to be playing in this week. Like, you know, readily available, at least in the 12 teamers, the 89% rostered in the main event, 18% in the online championships. I haven't checked Yahoo, but still in those 12 teamers, readily available there if you need that power boost. So yeah, and he's 28, 28% owned in, or 28% rostered in TGFBI. TGFBI. There you go. Yeah. So depending on the style of your 15 teamer, readily available, as we tend to say, it doesn't hurt to check. Just control F, put the name in, see if he pops up. Uh, All right, let's get into the speed categories here. As Michael said earlier, one of the categories that's always the toughest to find, especially on draft day, you're fighting for it all season long. Stolen bases, runs are in here as well. Kevin, lead us off. Who is still available who could help in those categories? Yeah, I'm going to go back to someone Michael brought up earlier that's already helped his squad and a lot of others. Bubba Thompson universally rostered in 15 team leagues he is available in 17 percent of online championships that shocked me and 70 percent of yahoo now i understand a lot of those yahoo leagues probably don't count stolen bases specifically some of those could be points leagues but still a, a good number of yahoo leagues he's available as well with his third stolen base so far this week today on saturday as we're recording that I actually tweeted it on Monday when he had two right away on Monday. That was the fifth time in the six weeks that he's been up with the Rangers that he's had multiple stolen bases in a week. This is the guy, if available in your league and stolen bases can help you. And something else that will probably come up a little later in the opportunities section, Adam, we talked a couple of weeks ago off air about there being a few double headers in that last half week of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those is the Texas Rangers. So at, at four games, when most teams have three, that last half week in Roto leagues, if you're not buying his batting average, which has been an added bonus, he's hitting almost 300. Yeah. <laughs> We're not expecting that out of Bo- <laughs> Bubba Thompson. We'd be using him for the stolen bases even without that. But if that's been the concern and you're tight in batting average and don't want to don't want to put him in your lineup. When it comes down to it, that last four days, he's not going to hurt your batting average. So if available, even if you don't want to use him yet, he's a good stash in that aspect as well. Another guy that's not quite as available as I thought because he hasn't been very good in the second half, but I like his schedule coming up this week. Mike Ustrimski, he's only got five stolen bases on the season, but they're facing... A lot of righties this week, so he'll be leading off, and four of those games are in Colorado, which is a on-base machine for players, so hopefully that gets him turned around. I would not be surprised at all if Mikey Strzemski snags a bag or two this week. Or at least if he's leading off, he's scoring some runs for you against the Rockies for sure. Michael, you got a, another name out there for those who are desperate for runs or and or stolen bases? 
Yes, this was a little bit tougher for me. I would I fully agree on Bubba Thompson. If him or Jake McCarthy are available in your leagues, you need to dra- grab them immediately. But I wanted to use the same sort of thinking as I did with Aquino and just looking for a player that's playing right now, producing in those two categories. And there were two guys, I might mention the second one, but first, Elvis Andrus. He's been leading off for the White Sox. He doesn't have, we've all played fantasy for a while. He's not the player he used to be. We He's been struggling with Oakland recently, but we're talking about the go end of the season right now. And we're looking for players who are producing in favorable situations. He's in the hitter's park. He's playing, as I mentioned earlier with the WRC Plus, Andrus is not only getting steals, he's up there with three steals in, in September, but he's also number 11 in WRC Plus, which is always a bonus. You're really looking at a power speed guy in this small sample size that he's been going. If you can plug that in, a leadoff hitter that's producing, like that's huge down the stretch. So that would be the main guy I'll mention. I also, I won't go as deep in this guy, but I, Isaiah Kiner Falafa for the Yankees, he's got an everyday job. It looks like he's playing, batting in the six hole. And he's got five steals since September 1st as well and possibly has multi-position eligibility in leagues. So that would be my alternative. I have Andrews, I think I said this earlier in the show, like in a few draft and holds, both DCs and 50s. And he was just like that, I don't know, 40th round pick because I knew no matter what, it was like like an Andrews and Simmons type of thing. You like you knew in Oakland he was going to get the volume. He knew he was going to play every single day. That did more harm than good while he was in Oakland. That volume was hurtful. <laughs> but it was nice to be able to pull him from the bench over the last like two weeks since he's turned it on in Chicago. And as we talked about the top of the show, it'll be very sad to see him go even to a not everyday role for the last like week and a half of the season once Tim Anderson comes back. But you ride that wave while you can. And as Kevin mentioned, it'll be very difficult for him to lose playing time this week. Even if Anderson comes back in the second half of the week, you get, you got to keep playing him until you don't have a good reason to. So I like to call out there if he is still available, 98% rostered in the main event, 44% in the online championships. So more than half of those 12 teamers still out there leading off for a team, a rejuvenated Chicago White Sox team. Alluded to it recently, there is some schedule notes that you should be taking into account when making these bids. There are no teams next week that have more than one scheduled day off. So no no teams are you have to worry about sitting your starters for the first, the first half of the week. But there are more than a few teams that have no off days, including San Francisco, Colorado, Milwaukee, the Chicago Cubs, Atlanta, Seattle, Angels, Houston, Minnesota, Cleveland, Tampa Bay, and Baltimore. They all have seven games, no off days. There is one doubleheader next week, again, with Arizona versus the Dodgers on Tuesday. That gives both of those teams eight games. So the only teams with more than seven are Arizona and the LA Dodgers. That is the last scheduled doubleheader in the month of September. All the rest of the doubleheaders, Kevin alluded to, come in October they do involve Philadelphia, Seattle, Washington, the Yankees, Texas, and Detroit. All have double headers in the last five days of the season. Most most of those do happen in that last half week, as you talked about. As far as next week goes, Colorado, they are back in Colorado hosting the Giants for four and the Padres for three. Cincinnati also hosts Boston for two and Milwaukee for four. So two very hitter-friendly parks. Going to have lots of baseball played in them next week. So keep an eye on options 
for from both of those teams or all of those teams. Looking long term, looking the rest of the season, just something to keep in your back pocket. Baltimore, the Baltimore Orioles are the only team in baseball that have no more scheduled off days between when you're listening to this and the end of the season. Boston's comes close. They have an off day on Monday, but after that, they have games every they have games scheduled every single day through October 5th. So lots of baseball to be played by those two AL East rivals at the bottom of the AL East standings. But that's besides the point. With all that in mind, and then some, Kevin, who might you be looking at to take advantage of the opportunities ahead? I got a Yahoo play here for a third of those in Yahoo leagues, and it's Ryan McMahon. He is only 65% rostered, so available in a third of leagues. That is huge when most of these leagues are probably head-to-head playoff leagues coming up into championship weeks, maybe semifinals weeks in some leagues still. Second base and third base eligible. Six of seven of the games the Rockies play this week are versus right-handed starters. And at Coors this season, Like most Rockies, we know, but especially good for Ryan McMahon, 276 batting average, 12 home runs, 41 RBI, 45 runs scored in less than a season's worth of less than half of a season's worth of plate appearances, 287 plate appearances to get to those numbers. So we're looking at a 25, 90, 90 guy or 85, 90 guy here as far as RBI and runs are concerned with a full seven game week, all of them at home at Coors Field. I would think that this number has got to go up a lot for the Yahoo roster ship coming into this week. I just can't see not using him in this situation. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, Colorado has their off day on Monday as well. So it makes the pickup that much easier to pick him up on Monday for Tuesday and keep him throughout the course of the week. You don't have to worry about that Thursday off day, which is nice. And especially in those head-to-head matchups, especially in daily moves where you're moving guys in and out of your lineup, you don't want to waste a roster spot. Michael, do you have anybody that you're going to be looking to take advantage of their schedule moving forward? No, unfortunately, I'm not going to be too helpful in this one. I missed that section on the sheet. But I agree with everything Kevin said. If you it's just look at the matchups, look for players who will be playing most of the days and then players in good parks. And if you want to go deep, look at the pitchers they're going up against. Yeah, You can go as deep into this stuff as you want, but I don't have any specific name off the top of my head. Yeah, nice this coming week because there aren't a lot of teams with a bunch of off days. Like I said, there's no team that there's no team that has two off days. Everybody plays at least six games, if not seven, or in a rare case, there are two teams that have eight games. So if volume is your play in mo- in a lot of situations. It is. I would definitely be looking at bats in Arizona and Dodgers. Not that to say the Dodgers are going to get anybody available on your wire that plays for the Dodgers probably isn't playing all four of those games <laughs> in the first half of the NFBC week or start five games because of the doubleheader. That's not to say that just gives them added opportunity to put up that kind of volume that they wouldn't normally have seen. All right, let's move into our pitching categories then. As I lament that much more about chasing wins as the Cardinals and Reds are still playing baseball. And no, Kevin, Quintana is not in the game any any longer. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I saw <laughs> they are that. in the 11th inning. He put up quite the line. Just he's that little that zero in the win column is not going to change to a one on my stat tracker, unfortunately. But if I am chasing wins for next week. Kevin, who should I be looking at? I'm going to one of my all-time favorites, and I'm not in a. It's a pretty small club. Most people don't 
like this guy nearly as much as I do, but Wade Miley is back and Wade Miley is looking to get two starts this week. And they are both good ones at Miami, at Pittsburgh, two of the worst, not just two of the worst hitting teams in the league, but two of the worst versus right-handed starters. And yeah, anybody that's talked to me about baseball in any capacity, whether it's been something I wrote, listening to a podcast, having a conversation with me, knows I'm a Wade Miley fan, and I will definitely have him in lineups this week and be looking to add him on the rosters that I don't already have him. Man, the fact that he got pulled from his start today, as we're recording this on Saturday, killed me. And then I saw that he's going to be starting, on, probably starting on Monday for this two start that you just outlined. And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'm okay. And as long as I win this week and I can take advantage of it, I'm good with it. But <laughs> it, yeah, I have, I'll wait till after Michael gives us his because it affected this as well. Exactly what you're talking about. Nice little segue, Michael. Who are you looking at then for wins and K's for this coming week? Again, we're looking pretty deep. It's deep in the season and we're trying to look for random guys. So I looked, uh, I ended up narrowing my it down to Drew Smiley. He's been pitching well recently. And a main reason, he doesn't have two starts next week, but he's at Miami. And that's a great matchup for any pitcher that's doing well. I would favor the Cubs in that game. So going for the win. And he also, he faces the Miami on Wednesday. So that sets him up, lines him up for two starts in the final full week of the season, assuming they stay on track. And I didn't check out ahead which matchups he has there, but assuming it's playable matchups, you're looking at the Marlins and then two other matchups, three starts. That's really all most pitchers have for the rest of the season. Drew Smiley is a player that I would definitely consider streaming and then potentially keeping on my team for the two starts the following week. Yeah. When I was putting, started putting my notes together earlier in the week, he was set up for the same two starts as Wade Miley is this week, or at least opponents. It might've been Tuesday, Sunday, rather than Monday, Saturday, but at Miami at Pittsburgh, he got slid back to Wednesday. And I agree with you hundred percent, Michael, the Philadelphia matchup, uh, early next week may be a bit concerning. It always depends on what the wind is doing at Wrigley, how confident we would be in that. But then he also gets Cincinnati at Wrigley, and Cincinnati away from Great American Small Park doesn't scare anybody. So I agree 100% here. 61% rostered in the online championships, Drew Smiley is, and so really available in those 12-teamers, or at least in 40% or so of them. So keep an eye on that option. Any other options that you're looking at for those counting stats in the pitching categories? Uh, I have a second name there, but I'm going to drop them down. No, actually, I'll mention them here. The second name that I was thinking about is in a very similar situation is Bailey Ober for the Twins. He just returned from injury, six innings, one earned run, zero walks, four strikeouts. So that's promising coming in. And he's also only rostered on 28% of the TGFBI leagues right now coming back from injuries. So he's probably readily available in a lot of leagues. He's got a good matchup at Kansas City on Wednesday, which also lines him up as a two-start pitcher, assuming... The Twins keep him on that for the final week. Very similar situation to Smiley. Not as sure about how aggressively the Twins will push him, but going six innings the first start. And this is a guy that I was, he was growing on me more and more as draft season was going during the year. So the injury kind of hurt him. This is a nice player 
that wouldn't be available if not for the injuries. So I think it's worth taking a shot in this situation. Yeah, agreed on that point. He shouldn't be available, but he is 12% rostered in the online championship and only 57% in the mean event. So readily available on a lot of different wires out there. So keep an eye out for over and smiley, depending on your format. Let's move into our ratios, guys. It's alluded to earlier in the episode. Kevin, who's chipping away at ERA and whip for you this coming week? Yeah, this is a guy we talked about two, three, maybe even four weeks ago when Felix Bautista had a bit of a dead arm, and that's Dylan Tate. He's continued to pitch well. You mentioned Baltimore's schedule. They do not have an off day the rest of the season. Two, five, nine ERA and a whip under one on the season. Nice guy to have in there, especially with all the games Baltimore will be playing. And could Volser a save or a win at any time with that that hectic of a schedule coming up for the Orioles? Nice. Yeah, we talked about Dylan Tate last week just as an option for Felix Batista's arm and maybe even vulturing a save. So it's nice that uh, he can get into this category as well. Michael, who might be looking at to cut into your ratios besides Bailey Ober? Yeah, so I, it's tough for me to recommend relievers at this stage. I'm not sure how they're going to be used. So for me, it's more trying to find starters that might maybe wouldn't go five innings. They could, but they might not, but they're not going to kill you. And the first guy that comes to mind for me is John Gray coming back from injury. He went 3.2 innings with a run, five strikeouts. He's rostered in 65% of leagues for the TGFBI as well. More people have held on to him, but he faces Cleveland at home next week. Could be a sneaky choice for a win, but I also think he's a good choice to not uh, destroy your ratios over that time. And I also just re- just a few minutes ago added, I wanted to mention Hunter Brown again. Moving out of the rotation into a long reliever role, he could end up getting into a situation. We've seen how effective he is already. If he's pitching three or four innings at a time, I could see a similar type of success that we saw from Strider early in the season where he's racking up high strikeouts, not giving up many runs, and potentially picking up a win coming in. So Hunter Brown, I think, is another guy, and he's probably rostered in a lot of leagues from people picking him up, but he might be getting dropped because getting removed from the rotation too. So another guy to consider in leagues where you're able to make daily moves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will not be surprised to see him being one of the more dropped players just based on usage. So obviously not an option in those situations this week, but look for him to be available on your wires next week and see how Houston ends up using him with their rotation filled back up. Um, yeah, John Gray still readily available in those 12-teamers, 52% rostered still in those 12-teamers on the uh, online championships. So in those shallow formats, you have a lot less teams that have been holding on to him since he came back from the IL. So see if he's available. Our last pitching category here, guys, everybody's favorite. It's a saves. You're still chasing them regardless of where you are in the standings. More likely, even if you're at the top of the standings, you probably don't want anybody catching up to you. Who are we looking at, Kevin, to hopefully vulture at least one save this coming week? So this is a little bit surprising to me. I didn't add this player until today. We all know about AJ Puck getting blown up last weekend. And then he had a nice outing on Tuesday, two innings pitch, didn't give up any runs, three strikeouts. I thought he was right back into to the role. Acevedo got the save in the little bit of absence when we expected they might give A.J. Puck a break. But then on Saturday, 
AJ Puck pitched the eighth inning, got the hold, and Acevedo was right back in there for his second save of the season, his second save of this week. It's something to monitor here. I don't know if I would definite. I don't think I would bench Puck for Acevedo, but if I'm in a spot where I really need saves and some other things don't matter, maybe there's a situation where I would play them both or Puck's not available and Acevedo is. I get Acevedo in there. But it just looks like something that, and maybe today was dependent on matchups. I did not see what part of the lineup AJ Puck faced, but it was really interesting to me that we hadn't seen Puck since Tuesday. And then he got the eighth inning on Saturday, and Acevedo got his second save since Tuesday. Possession is nine tenths of the law, right? If you're getting <laughs> as simple as that. Michael, who you might be looking at if you're desperate for saves in the last couple weeks of the season? The first name that popped up, and I'm not sure this one might be a little bit too obvious to some people, but Jose Leclerc, he seems to have taken over the closer role in Texas, and I'm not sure that's been a revolving door for most of the season, but he has experience there. He's got their last couple, at least, let me see, he's gotten four or three saves this in the last six days, so he seems locked into that role. He's available in 52% of the TGFBI leagues. So I definitely see him as the most secure save option to pick up in those settings in like a 15-teamer right now. I wanted to also throw out a deeper option, and that is James Karinchak. He's not the closer, obviously, but Cleveland is, plays a lot of close games. As someone who rosters Emmanuel Classe knows, they're in... a Seemingly daily, they're in a game that's close where they have a chance to win at the end, and Class A can't pitch every day. So Karinchek has picked up three saves in the last two weeks, and it's hard to project that's going to happen going forward. But if there's a player that's not listed as the closer in a deeper league that I would take a speculative gamble on, it's him. Because he's a big strikeout guy and good ratio guy as well. Yeah, we talk about that. I feel like we talk about that Cleveland bullpen quite a bit. Somehow <laughs> in these last two categories, a lot of options in there to keep an eye on that can help you in various ways. All right, guys, my favorite category, the final category of the show, wild card category. Kevin, lead us off here. There's not a whole lot of time to stash anybody, but <laughs> if there's a strange player out there that didn't fit in any of the other categories that we talked about, this is where you get to talk about them. Who might you be looking at if everything fell perfectly? Yeah, this is... Uh... It's been a while since I really wanted to use a roster spot stashing anybody. Over the past couple of weeks, there have been some interesting names where I backed off of that stance and a couple of guys I liked. It's going to be interesting to see. Only been back for a couple of days, but how can we not mention Edward Olivares being back uh, with the Kansas City Royals? Did get to start on Saturday in his first game back. That was versus a lefty. So it'll be interesting to see how they use him going forward in the outfield in Kansas City. They've been getting Drew Waters a lot of playing time. Has not performed nearly as well recently as he did in Omaha. And then when he was first called up by the Royals, that experiment now may be put off to the offseason. That would open up some room. Waters also been injured the past couple of days mj melendez playing in the outfield on days that he isn't catching or dh'ing there can be some room there when he is catching and dh'ing michael a taylor not playing 
as consistently of an everyday role still most days. So there's some room. If they want to see what Edward Olivares can do for these last couple of weeks, since he has missed a lot of time this season, he may get more than just the short side of a platoon role. So something to keep an eye on. When does the Omaha season end? <laughs> I I most I think everything except AAA has ended for right. most teams. So I think it's sometime this week, but I don't know the exact date. Yeah, I went to my local AAA, the Indianapolis team here the, that goes into the Pirates. That was fun. A lot of fun stuff happened there. The final score was not fun if you're a home team <laughs> fan. I ended up being like 12 to 3 or something like that. But it's saying, uh, I just looked it up. It's saying September 28th is the last day for AAA. All right. Wow. So Nick Prado, who was sent back down, is in Omaha through the rest of the season then we don't we're not too worried about Nick Prado being called back up I'm assuming unless there's some weird injuries or stuff that's happening not that Prado's taking away at bats from Oliveris per se well the way they've got so many guys they can move around with the DH it, it can and if we believe what Mike Matheny says the reason Prado was sent down is because they want him to get at bats every day and not be in that shuffle with that being said if it is two more weeks or close to it of a triple a season we probably won't see prado back before then mm-hmm. so that does open up more playing time for the oliveruses of the world and what have you keep an eye on that michael let's end it off here who's a fun one that you might be looking at if available on the wire i took this category literally reddit wild cards speculative ads for any reason including prospects expected to get the call pure flyer wait and see type player so I choose Grayson Rodriguez. He threw five scoreless innings in AAA last night. The Orioles have shown they're willing to call up their top prospects. They're going for the playoffs. He would be an immediate upgrade to the rotation. He would have been up this season early had he stayed healthy. I think he would have had a similar type of impact as players like George Kirby and Spencer Strider have, or at least had the opportunity to do that. That's how good he could be. And I could potentially see them surprising us and giving him the call because he just went five innings, which was a surprise. As long as they think they, he won't re-injure himself, I could see him having a similar finish as Shane Baz did in 2021, get a couple starts in, show flashes of what he's going to do. And we're down the wire here, so it could help fantasy rosters down the stretch. And obviously, this is a big-time player that is going to be a very popular target in leagues next year. Like I said, Baltimore has lots of games to play. The, their final two weeks of the season, not the best matchups for a pitcher, per se. Boston, as bad as they have been, still a decently potent offense. They face off against the Yankees, and they end up hosting Toronto. And before that, Houston. Maybe not the best matchups for a Baltimore prospect pitcher to come up into, but like you said, the talent is there. It's unquestionable. This is a guy that probably wasn't drafted in a lot of situations in the NFBC. So you will have to wait until he makes his debut, until he becomes available in those scenarios, but available in other platforms, I'm sure, on the wire if you do have an opportunity to stash somebody who could make an impact in the final couple of days or two weeks of the season. I love the call. We had to call him out at some point, right? So I'm glad that, uh, Michael, you were able to do that. All right, a lot of good players to consider. Like I said, you got $10, got $100, whatever. You got to be making your bids. Kevin, you have any final words of wisdom that we can impart into everybody listening as they head into the first of the final three fab periods of the season? 
Yeah, just a reminder, something we all know, but sometimes we overlook it when we start looking at specific players and other things. Really take a look at the schedule going forward. With all of these teams, nobody having a five-game week this week. There are a few next week. That would be going into the last full week of the season for Roto, championship week, and some head-to-head weeks. That There's quite a bit to take a look at. And also, you may or we, or however we want to say this, include (laughs) those of us participating on this show and listening to the show may have been looking ahead all season and players in our leagues may not have, but they will be now if they're still in it. So things you got away with earlier in the year, maybe act a little earlier on right now. I'm definitely looking ahead to next week this week when looking at schedules. And remember those double headers, that final half week for Roto Leagues. Four teams will play four games rather than three that everyone else plays. I believe it's Texas, New York, Seattle, and what was the fourth one? Detroit. Four teams to be looking ahead at. If you have a stash spot for somebody, even for that's two weeks away. But definitely next weekend, people will be looking one week ahead. So that's really what I would do with my wild card spot. If I have a stash spot. I'd be looking the extra week ahead at that final half week of the season. All right, that's going to do it, guys. Michael, thank you so much, man, for taking the time, letting us know what it is that you've been doing right in TGFBI. And why don't you let everybody, remind everybody where they can find you on a regular basis so they can soak up as much of the knowledge that you have to give. Yeah, thanks again for having me on the show. As I said, I have a lot of respect for what you two bring to the baseball community each week, and I'm happy to be a part of it. You can find my writing at Fantrax. I cover prospects and dynasty, but I may be open to covering the MLB and redraft side down the road with my success this season. If you're more of a video audio person, you can find me, my call up. My podcast is called The Call Up, presented by Triple Play Fantasy. We're on YouTube and all the usual podcast platforms every week. I do the show with my friend and co host, David Mendelson, and we have a lot of fun talking about breakouts in the minor leagues typically with a knowledgeable guest. You could also find me on Twitter at MPRichards1981. I've been less active there lately because of this TGFBI, but um, once I'm able to unwind from the season, I plan to get back to being a useful source for people on social media that follow me. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your listeners, and I hope this episode helps people finish the season strong. Yeah, the, the attention that you have to give to everything has to start narrowing down at some point, especially when you're focused so hard on such an important league. No, not only anybody's blaming you for lack of content on Twitter at this point, but we look forward to seeing what you have to say after the season's over. That's going to wrap it up for episode 77 of On The Wire. Please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you are listening. We are back every Sunday with as few of them as there are the rest of the season with detailed fab breakdowns. And of course, keep a lookout for Kevin's companion article over at pitcherlist.com. It comes out every Sunday afternoon as well. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at on the wire pod. Once again, I'd like to thank our guest, Michael Richards, for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at MPRichards1981. With that, I am Adam Howe. And on behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye. Goodbye.